This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, it's the Saturday show. Not saying it's Saturday, it's whatever time it is when you're listening to this, or in Tuvalu, possibly a different day. But on this, the Saturday show, we usually play one segment from the recent past and one segment from the dark, dark past, our vast array of history. And I do want to apologize, I've never addressed this before. In the 70s, we started using red dye number 12 in our product. Uh, It has not been proven to be especially carcinogenic in rats, but also, you know, what were rats doing trying to listen to podcasts in the 70s? Anyway, I digress. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different on this, the Saturday show. We are going to play an add-on interview from the one we did yesterday. So, Uh, The first thing you're going to hear is actually the interview I just mentioned. The second thing you're going to hear, but one that I will preview now, is the spiel I did on Monday about Elon Musk taking over Twitter. So much has changed since then. I didn't even know what to think then. I don't know what to think now, but luckily the spiel centered essentially on how to think about it, not what to think about it. Um, Maybe my underlying greatest point was you got to take into account the status of Twitter now before you give a pronouncement on where Twitter is going. But first, in this, an interview with Dave Daly, we bring you a bonus about his book that came out in 2016, Rat Fucked, Why Your Vote Doesn't Count. Now, of course, I can only assume the name of the book is Rat Fucked because the cover said Rat F asterisk asterisk K-E-D. So it could have been Rat Flaked, Rat Forked, Rat Finked. Rat Fink was a popular character in the 70s. Indeed, it was Rat Fucked. And I really wanted to dig down on those asterisks and that title with Dave Daly up next. Just yesterday, I was joined by Dave Daly for an excellent conversation about the ills of gerrymandering. But what really caught my eye was a book that he wrote in 2016, and it is called Rat Fucked, and the subtitle is Why Your Vote Doesn't Count. But I want to talk about the book, its title, and the asterisk placement. (laughs) Dave, your book asterisks out the U and the C in fucked. And around the time that your book came out, there was a spate of books with fuck in the title that did very well. Of course, it wasn't, none of the books put the word on the title, but they would normally asterisk out one letter. Like the book by Mark Manson, Everything is Fucked, just had the U asterisked out. And Unfuck Your Brain, Using Science to Get Over Anxiety by Faith Harper had a hashtag where the U should be. How was it decided that you use the double asterisk <laughs> to take away the U and the C from us? Focus groups. Yeah? Focus groups want the U and the C asterisked out of fucked. 
Really? They do. So the funny story here is that I sold this book as Gerrymandered Nation. Okay. And the publisher because, because all those nation this. books were very popular, right? Fast Food Nation and yes. Um, and then fucked books became very popular. <laughs> fucked books, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think fucked nation would be a guaranteed bestseller, and I throw that out there for anybody who's looking to title their next book. But where would the asterisks go in fucked nation? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, but the fact that this was. A high-minded political science book instead right. of a very self-helpy book, did that influence the choice to take away two of the letters from our uh, tender eyes? You know, I think what happened is the word gerrymander puts people to sleep. And the publisher mm. said, you cannot have the word gerrymander in the title or the subtitle. And they liked the book and they wanted it to be read. And so they came up with about 15 different titles and subtitles. And brought in a marketing group that tested them on people. And I knew from that moment on that the title of my book was going to be Rat Fucked and my mom would never know that I, I published a book. Um, <laughs> but um, the people of America demanded that this book be called uh, Rat Fucked and they evidently preferred the U and the C to be uh, uh, taken away. Where in the timeline of the popularity of the fucked books did you decide on your title? Were they already out on the shelves? No, I think we were first, honestly. Mm. Um, I think we were right at the beginning of this. Um, this book was titled in, gosh, it would have been early in 2015. Um, I was running Salon at the time, and we were always putting fucked in headlines, and it would immediately uh, cause liftoff to any story. That. Fully written out or with asterisks? Uh, we would usually have to have at least one asterisk in there because, you know, you want to be provocative, but not so provocative, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And when this went off to the focus group and it came back early in 2015 that, you know, this was the title that that, that people responded to and it was off the charts, um, I should have understood that that was a sign of the anger and the anti-system uh, uh, attitudes that were out there. And if I had actually been smart, I would have recognized what that meant for the rise, not only of Donald Trump, but for the popularity of Bernie Sanders in that, in that campaign, that this was tapping into something in, in the zeitgeist. Yeah. Uh, uh, feelings Americans had about their political system. I mean, I, you know, I missed that completely. Oops. Did the book sell well? It did. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the book that turned into a bestseller, which I would have, uh, you know, never imagined on partisan gerrymandering. You know, what's funny about asterisking since you're an editor, you've thought about this, but asterisking two letters, one being this, the U is always the one that's taken away. But then when you asterisk the C, the K is doing the work of it's the C. It's a lot of work. It's very superfluous to asterisk either the C or not the K, but not both. You know, the book was published by Norton, which is one of those, you know, Fifth Avenue, New York City publishers. And I think that there were... There were people in the marketing department who were like, yeah, yeah, let's go aggressive. And then there's people in the editorial department who were like, well, um, I don't I don't think that F. Scott Fitzgerald would have approved of this of this of this title. And um, I'm not well, sure you know the boys the at the club for. when I tell them that I published uh, our new book is called Rat Fucked. 
um, are are going to want to pick up my gin and tonic at lunch. Um, so perhaps they thought, you know, well, if we asterisk out two of these letters, uh, then we're not just being cheap and dirty. Yes. Then we'll we'll stay in the good graces of the Century Club and all the old white shoe law firms that our brothers are employed by. Precisely. David Daly is the author you may have gleaned from this conversation of Rat Fucked, Why Your Vote Doesn't Count. Thanks for this. Thank you. And now the spiel. In the abstract, who would you want to take over one of the world's most dysfunctional, but arguably important businesses? Maybe the man who has done the most to solve the world's biggest problem. The problem I'm thinking of is climate change, largely driven by drivers and gasoline burning cars. And really no one's done more to get internal combustions off the road than Elon Musk. No matter what you think of him personally, you'd have to say Musk has done more to solve one of the biggest problems in the world than any single person. Yes, I know it wasn't just him. Yes, yes, I know the problem is far from solved. And yes, 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 I know he didn't do it because he's a humanitarian. He did it for, well, a variety of reasons, but profit motive was big. And so what? He did it. So why not, when faced with a comparatively minor problem, like a website that causes a collective increase in cortisol levels among political and cultural elites, why not have this world-renowned problem solver have a whack at it? And the answer is, because he's Elon Musk. He smoke pot with Rogan, he questions vaccine effectiveness, he violates SEC rules, and he was way into Dogecoin. So what to think? Well, not really what to think, more like how to think about the world's richest man buying the world's greatest distraction. Actually, Twitter is a lot of things other than a distraction, including a sounding board, a gathering place, a proving ground, a mirror, and a Rorschach test, but it's certainly also a distraction. And we are all currently quite obsessed, one might say distracted, with Elon Musk's nearly $50 billion deal to buy Twitter. Nah, it's not as much money as Netflix lost in a day last week, but it is a lot of money. So what I want to do is not opine, good thing, bad thing, Elon and Twitter. The future is unknowable, though Musk seems to have an insight on it and on electric cars, much more informed than mine. If you want to talk about a disqualified person to talk about it, I didn't even think he was serious about buying Twitter. I just thought he liked the attention. But I do want to lay out my thinking so you can evaluate it and maybe you can put it up against your thought process. So much of the thought on this, from what I could read on Twitter, is quickly jumping to the tweeter's perception of Elon Musk. So it goes, I like Elon. I don't like Elon. Elon will be terrible. Elon is a terrible type of person. Therefore, his owning Twitter will be bad. But let's be more methodical. First of all, I think we do have to ask, how much can anyone improve Twitter, make it better? And how much could any one person or you know, series of person and changes make Twitter worse? Within reason, I mean, obviously, if the one person who bought Twitter was Vladimir Putin, that would have a downside, or Osama bin Laden before he was dead, if he had plowed his construction money into Twitter and not jihad. It wouldn't have been good for Twitter, but I'm also going to say Twitter wouldn't have taken off had bin Laden's funds been in the seed money round. 
To assess upside and downside, let's think about where Twitter is now. Not just how bad could it get, we have to ask how much worse could it get and how much better could Twitter get as far as how much worse could it get? Realistically, not that much worse, I don't think. Journalists and politicians are still on Twitter, and if it doesn't return a lot of functionality along with frustration, it will cease to be popular. People will leave the platform. When I think about how much worse it could get, I just imagine Twitter around the year 2015. That was before any meaningful content moderation rules, which were prompted by harassment against, do you remember this one? The stars of the Ghostbusters reboot that ushered in the first round of rules protecting people from Twitter. How much better could Twitter get? I actually think it could get quite a bit better. That trending bar, which forces barely edited incendiary material into all of our brains, just to upgrade that thing to include better stories, stories from across the political and cultural spectrum, but just stop highlighting stories that are stupid, but get us to have a quick emotional reaction. I just think that could go a long way. Now we have to ask, okay, I've pictured how much better it could get, or at least I've said I think it could get quite a bit better. I don't know how much worse it could get. You have to ask, but what about the Elon Musk of it all? What kind of policies might he deliver? And so you say, well, we don't know what his policies are until he gets there, but we have an idea. He was recently interviewed by Chris Anderson of TED Talks, and when asked, said that his first change would be to allow edited tweets. That's good. That's user-friendly. You actually have to pay a little more to get edited tweets. He'd give it to everybody, apparently. That's great. Then he was asked about tweets that might be interpreted as calls to violence or harassment. Here's Musk's thinking on that. In in my view, uh, Twitter should um, match the laws of the the country and and, and really, you know, there's an obligation to to do that. Um, uh, But going beyond beyond that um, and having it be unclear who's making what changes to to, to where uh, having tweets sort of mysteriously be promoted and demoted with no insight into what's going on, uh, having a black box algorithm uh, promote some things and other, not, not other things, I think this can be quite dangerous. That is not, I'm not going to say extreme, but it is legally de minimis. Just don't violate laws. It's actually not corporate policy. It's a lack of policy. But it did show where Musk's head is with tweets that may offend, bother, or even harass. If, if in doubt, uh, let 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 the speech let let it exist. Uh, it would have you know if, if it's a you know a, a gray area. I would say let let the, let the tweet exist. This is the number one reason to worry about the downside risk of a Musk regime. But I have to go back to how much worse could it get? It is very bad now. Pylons, food fights, shunnings, and shamings. I don't know if the 2015 rules would make for a worse experience or just turn Twitter into gab or parlor, thus ruining Twitter. I really don't know. As far as upside, Musk does vow to tackle the bots. Twitter has also long vowed to tackle the bots. And those efforts have been sporadically effective. But one would think Musk would be better at it, not just because he's better at technology, but he is an owner who wouldn't care that much about turning a profit. And he'd be inclined to do a true bot purge, more inclined, I think, than current membership. Because with current membership, every time they clean up, their monthly users go down. And so if you do a true cleaning, a cleansing, a 30-day fasting cleanse, I don't know. 
the 330 million monthly users could be really 300 million or 270 or 230. There are a lot of bots out there. But also Elon Musk's disregard for profit could be what drives him to de-emphasize those clickbait trending articles or to reconfigure an algorithm that tends to push the most incendiary traffic. Here is Musk's plan for the algorithm. Like, I think, like, the, the code should be on GitHub, you know? So then, uh, and, and so people can look through it and say, like, uh, I see a problem here. I don't, I don't agree with this. Um, they can highlight issues. Right. Um, suggest changes in, in the same way that you sort of update Linux or, or Signal or something like that, you know? But as, as um, I understand it... Uh, yeah. And at least one person in the 1,200-seat venue liked it. Musk has a habit, however, of following through on his most audacious promises. So I wouldn't doubt that we might get an algorithm open to all. But might not a consequence of that be not merely improving the algorithm, but opening it to exploitation? Everyone would know its flaws. (laughs) Overall, there seems to be some potential upside in an Elon Musk-owned Twitter, but even his promises come with concerns. Unlike other media figures who you're worried that they might overpromise and underdeliver, promise you the stars and deliver only Stardust or CNN Plus or Quibi or the Metaverse or the Segway Scooter, you actually worry that Elon Musk will deliver on his promises. He does seem more concerned about Twitter's ability to silence than Twitter's power to amplify. But maybe if he himself sees the algorithm, it will occur to him, huh? the platform actually isn't engaged in shadow bans or clandestine silencings. Or who knows, maybe it is. I think people are actually worried about one thing, and it's this, that Elon Musk will allow Donald Trump back on Twitter. Maybe all of this, all of the concern is about, is he going to let Donald Trump back on Twitter? And I can't say he won't. Maybe Elon Musk will allow Donald Trump back on Twitter. To that, all I can say in terms of reassurance is that Donald Trump was on Twitter once. He then got himself booted off. And when he was on Twitter, he did lose a presidential election. And after he was off, he has not faded away. Twitter is a social media site, but it is, of course, also a dopamine delivery system. It's hard not to have a very gut, reptilian brain, fast twitch. Let's let's call all of that this basket. Twitter-like reaction to everything I've laid out. So I'm just saying that before you press the like button, slow down and ponder, might Musk do for Twitter what he did for carbon emissions? Or will he allow Twitter to cater to the worst of our instincts? Or might Twitter have done exactly that without him? And that's it for today's Best Of Show. Thank you to Corey Wara, assistant producer, and Joel Patterson, senior producer of The Gist. And as always, Michelle Pesca, whose actual title is COO of Peachfish Productions. Oompru depru Thanks for listening.